Welcome to the Assurology Show, a growth hacker's guide to human capital management with your host, Mike Vinoy. Each week, we bring you experts in human resources, employment law, accounting, benefits planning, and more to build productive organizations. You'll gain practical guidance for your business. You'll be alerted to the latest news and megatrends that impact small and mid-sized companies. We'll give you the hands-on information you need to stay compliant with ever-changing employment laws, the strategies you need to win the war for talent, and much more. So you can focus on what you do best, growing your business. Enjoy the show. The Department of Labor's new higher overtime salary threshold proposal. Uh, this is a huge topic. Uh, I think it's going to impact something like uh, an expected 3.4 million employees in the United States. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Mary Simmons uh, was my guest on this show, and we unpacked what we thought was going to be uh, uh, some of the framework for the, the, the DOL's new law around raising the minimum salary threshold for exempt employees. Uh, early in the year, we expected a, quote-unquote, end of summer uh, rule from the Department of Labor. We were a little surprised it hadn't come yet. So we at least wanted to set expectations with folks what we thought that rule might be. Um, well, uh, uh, here we are just a few days later and the Department of Labor has uh, a proposed new rule in, in, in place. So uh, it hasn't gone into effect yet. There's potential that it could change, but it, we do have it in black and white now what they are thinking. Uh, and how that might impact em employers. So uh, really important topic. want to unpack that. Uh, perfect guest to do exactly that today. Uh, if you're a regular watcher of the show, you know Brian Schenker. He's an attorney at the Long Island, New York office of Jackson Lewis. Brian's practice focuses on representing employers in a wide range of workplace matters, as well as preventative advice and counseling. Brian has extensive experience defending class and collective action lawsuits under federal and state state wage and hour laws. He successfully defended wage and hour audits conducted by the U.S. and New York State Departments of Labor. And Brian regularly handles cases before courts, administrative agencies involving claims of discrimination, sexual harassment, and retaliation. Brian, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Mike. Okay, so here's, I, I do not want this to turn into a show where we just talk about what, okay, what is exempt versus non-exempt, who, who, who must comply with this, um, we've done full one-hour uh, shows on that exact topic. Encourage everybody to hop on the website, hop on the YouTube channel, and you can you can find tons of content there. Um, uh, for those who might maybe this is their first introduction to it, just give me like sixty seconds if you could. You know what is what is exempt versus non-exempt? Why is this so important? How does that you know back into the FLSA and why must people be classified properly? because it, it, it really sets up the stage for what this important proposed rule is. Absolutely. Uh, so here goes that, uh, that uh, summary, Mike. So we'll start with the FLSA. It's the Fair Labor Standards Act, the federal law that sets the floor uh, nationwide for wages, for minimum wage, for exempt employees and what they need to be paid. Uh, most employers are subject to the FLSA. Uh, if you doubt you are, check with an authority, but it applies to a, a whole lot of employers throughout the U.S. When we talk about exemptions, right, we start with the concept that 
every employee is presumed to be non-exempt, meaning they're entitled to an hourly rate plus time and a half for overtime if they work over 40 hours. There are exceptions to that rule, and that's what we're talking about today. The exceptions to paying hourly rate and overtime is the exemptions that the FLSA sets. Uh, several of those exemptions that we're speaking about today are the white collar exemptions. Those are the professional, the administrative, and executive exemptions. Uh, they're called white collar. They're typically your you know, non-manual office uh, employees. And each exemption, each of these white collar exemptions has several uh, parts to attest that employee must meet in order to be paid a salary and to not be entitled to overtime. And so there, <clears throat> there's a duties test, right? That's what we often focus on, the primary duties uh, of the executive, administrative, or professional employee. Uh, but then there are two other requirements, and those are what we're really hitting on today, the salary basis and the salary threshold. So the salary basis says that someone needs to be paid a salary, easy enough. And the salary threshold, which we're really getting at here, is the amount that an exempt employee must be paid on a salary basis each week to preserve that exemption. So that's really the framework, Mike, of, yeah, uh, of yeah. what we're getting into today. Yeah. And okay. So, so, and, and everybody gets minimum wage, right? That, that, that's your, that's your non-exempt folks, your hourly employees. Uh, a lot of people don't realize, and we see people get in trouble all the time that they, they put someone on salary because, hey, you know, we just wanted to give them predictable income. Sometimes their hours are up. Sometimes they're down. We put them, put them on salary. That's not how the law works. You're either an exempt employee or you're not exempt. If you're not exempt from overtime, you're paid hourly and you get overtime. If you're an exempt employee, you have to meet one of those duties tests. Uh, and then there is a minimum that you must be paid as salary. A lot of people don't realize that. Though, the number is low enough uh, at, it'll be specific, $35,568 a year. That number is low enough that few people get in trouble for that one. However, that hasn't changed in a decade or more. And so this new proposed law, this is a doozy. This is saying this is where 3.4 million, the Department of Labor themselves are saying 3.4 million employees might be impacted by this and therefore their employers. The threshold is going from 35,568, that's the minimum to pay an exempt worker is a salary, is going from 35,000 to $55,068. So we're talking like a $20,000 jump. I mean, uh, a, a massive increase in, in, in base pay, which means folks are going to have, employers are going to have to massively increase pay for anybody in that middle. So if you have salaried employees making more than 55000 probably doesn't impact you. It, it still could in ways we'll discuss, um, uh, but not immediately, right? But if you have salaried exempt employees between 35,000 and 55,000, by law, if this goes through, and I don't know why it wouldn't, uh, you're going to be dramatically impacted in, how, in giving people raises or reclassifying is, is hourly, right? So maybe, maybe I stole too much of your thunder there, Brian, but can you just take us through what is in this proposed rule? Uh, and, and what does it even mean to be a proposed rule versus is this now law? How, how does all this work? 
Great, great. So yeah, let's unpack that. And you're exactly right. This this proposed increase is enormous, right? The, uh, it's a 55% increase from you know the current level. So like you said, you know, 35,000 a year right now, up to 55. Let's put that in perspective on a weekly basis. That's 684 a week right now that exempt employees must be paid. That's going up to 1,000. Uh, and $59. Uh, so again, you know, the, the current level that we're dealing with, these current salary levels have been in effect since uh, 2020 uh, when they were implemented by the uh, Trump administration. Uh, and I'd also mention that the, uh, the test for the annual compensation level for highly compensated uh, workers, that's also going to increase uh, 34% from the current 107,000 to 143,000 per year. And we, we can get into that uh, exemption uh, a little bit later. It doesn't apply to as many people as these white collar exemptions uh, yeah. that we just discussed are being increased to 55,000. Uh, so, and really these levels, by the time there's a, the final rule is implemented and this, uh, the regulation takes effect, the DOL has indicated the salary threshold could even be higher. Uh, that's because these salary uh, thresholds are uh, based on earnings data. And when the law takes effect, the, the salary thresholds at that time will be based on the then current you know, uh, earnings data. Say what you mean by that, because this, this is the because where you're talking at the top two factors. There's the there's the dollar amount itself, the empirical dollar floor that you got to pay. But then there's also a, a factor. Explain how that works. Right. So, you know, and you're talking about the increases here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the DOL has tied the salary levels to a percentile of earnings for full time salaried workers in the lowest census region in the U.S. Right. So right now they've done that in the past uh, and they've set it at different percentages. I think when the DOL increased back in 2004, it set it at the 20th percentile. Here it's using the 35th percentile of earnings for full-time workers in that lowest census region. So that's going to increase. And actually the DOL predicts that as of the first quarter of 2024, the salary level would actually hit 60,000. So by the time this rule takes effect, we might have uh, the lowest salary that an exempt employee could be paid in the US would be at least 60,000. Uh, and th that's a huge change. Um, and another thing that the this proposed rule has uh, that we have not seen previously in any DOL proposed rules uh, is that it has automatic updates. So the DOL proposes that every three years, these salary thresholds would be updated to reflect the current earning data. So it's gonna be the same percentage of some different data set. Uh, and that's something that, you know, hasn't necessarily been done before. Um, that said, the DOL would have uh, kind of this exception. They would be able to delay scheduled up to automatic uh, increases if warranted by unforeseen economic or you know, other uh, conditions. Uh, but again, that's a significant <clears throat> Is, you know, it wouldn't then require the DOL to implement, you know, a, a new rule every, you know, five, 10 years. It's going right. to be clockwork every three years uh, under this proposal. Yeah. And, that, and that's how a lot of contracts work, right? You'll tie a, a long-term contract to the consumer price index or something like that. So you don't have to renegotiate prices, 
you know, whether they're going up or down every, every single year. This is probably uh, a long overdue component, right? Because here, you know, we got folks sitting on pins and needles for a very long time here. And the, 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 the bump that's going to happen to take someone from 35,000 to 55, maybe even as you indicated, 60,000. I mean, that's, that's a pretty major deal to a small business owner who might have five employees. You're working on a really thin margin in a, in a, in a tough economy, tough labor market um, to afford a $20,000 pay increase. That, maybe that's all the profit you had. Maybe you only had 10000 in profit last year. Where's the money going to come from, right? So yeah. it's probably a, a wise provision to make sure that there's always a, an adjustment mechanism ongoing here. Right. No, absolutely. Um, and look, you know, for its part, the DOL, uh, you know, the purpose of the new rule, is, according to the Department of Labor, is to, you know, ensure that fewer, you know, lower paid white collar employees who potentially perform significant amounts of uh, non-exempt work are, uh, you know, included in the exemption. So, you know, the DOL is trying to narrow uh, who can be included in the exemptions by, you know, this this large increase in the salary that's required to be paid. Um, uh, you know, I think you mentioned earlier that, it, you know, it's amazing, you know, potentially over $3.4 million uh, workers, not dollars, uh, are anticipated to be you know, impacted yeah. by this. So, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's not, you know, an increase from, you know, 35 to 40, where, you know, how many employees are really making, you know, in that small range, you know, this covers a huge range where employers are going to see likely a number of their employees fall in that range uh, where they're going to, the employer's going to have, you know, decisions to make on how to comply with right. the FLSA going forward. Right. Some industries may not be impacted. If you're uh, an accounting firm, an architectural firm, a software company that, you know, you know, God bless your employees. Their salaries are much higher than that, uh, and it might not impact you. But this is going to this is going to be very industry specific, I think. And, I, and I'm just looking at estimates here of the some of the subcategories of that 3.4 million uh, employees that will probably be impacted. You're, you're looking at 300,000 manufacturing jobs, 180,000 hospitality workers, 600,000 people in healthcare that have salaries. They're exempt employees. They're going to fall within this range. So. Um, Maybe before I'm super interested in learning, and I'm sure everybody watching today uh, is interested in the timeline. When does this take effect? How will it take effect? Will there be a ramp? Will, I want to explore all that. Um, but one of the things uh, when Mary Sims and I discussed this topic a couple weeks ago, um, there was there was potentially the the DOL was indicating there's going to be two significant components. One was the increase to the salary threshold that we're talking about here. This is the biggie. The other thing was a potential uh, uh, test, right? Uh, what, what, what is the, what, what changes might there be to the test for the duties test uh, right. for what is or is not uh, an exempt employee? But what, yeah. Is there anything around the duties test in this proposed new rule? Right. So the DOL, they did not make any changes to the duties test. It seems yeah. that what their uh, take on the duties element of the exemption was that this is something that's well known to employers, what the duties are required for exemptions. And so I think at this time, the DOL didn't want to 
uh, you know, start changing those as well, even though you're right in the past, we have heard uh, some rumblings of, you know, potential uh, duties, uh, test changes, you know, nothing here. Uh, that's not to say that, you know, employers should just ignore the issue of duties uh, because, you know, look, I, I think probably hitting on something, you know, we, we would discuss at the end, which is, you know, what should employers do? Uh, look, it's always a good opportunity. It's always a good time to audit your exemptions and look at the duties, regardless of there you know, being no change uh, to the duties right. test. Um, even if you have, you know, job descriptions, you know, have they been updated in the last year? Have they been updated, you know, since the pandemic? Have you reevaluated uh, exemptions since the pandemic, since 2020, right? You know, a lot of positions at companies uh, have changed a lot in the last three years. And so, uh, you know, this, this time, this focus on uh, exemptions, it gives companies uh, a good time, a good opportunity to you know, also make sure that their, their employees, that they're uh, classifying as exempt are meeting those duties tests for the white collar, you know, and other exemptions. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I mean, that's good news. There's not even more change to come. So no change to the duties test. Let's, so let's talk about, um, you know, the, the, this, this is, a, this is a big pill for folks to swallow. Um, this is a, technically this is a proposed rule. So this isn't a law. This doesn't have to go through Congress, right? This is the Department of Labor, part of the executive branch that makes decisions. Um, and so this is a proposed law. Uh, what, what technically happens? How does this become a legally binding rule? Uh, take us through what this comment period is, when this thing will probably go live. Uh, help us understand what this timeline and logistics are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you're right, because this isn't legislation, right? It's more, it's a proposed rule by an executive agency, right? It goes through uh, a publication at first, right? So the proposed rule, as we see it, will go into the federal register. Uh, it hasn't been slated for publication yet, but our best guess is that could come down, you know, potentially within the next, you know, 30 days or so. Uh, that it would be uh, put into the federal register. And once published, uh, employers and other stakeholders, right? You know, I'm sure, you know, unions and other uh, labor organizations uh, will have uh, 60 days to file, to provide public comments. Uh, I believe the last time we had a proposed rule, there were over 300,000 uh, public comments. Uh, and once these comments are received, at least as to the substantive comments, uh, the DOL reviews and addresses those comments, and then it publishes a final rule. Uh, the final rule, it doesn't, it's not necessarily going to be the same as this proposed rule. In all likelihood, it will be quite similar. Uh, and so really, in terms of an effective date, uh, you know, because it hasn't been published in the Federal Register yet, we don't have a date certain, but potentially, you know, on this based on this timeline, we could have an effective rule as early as January 2024. Uh, so it's something to certainly stay tuned on. And, you know, employers shouldn't assume they have, you know, six, 12 months, right? I know last time uh, there were proposed rules by the DOL uh, on the salary threshold, there were some legal challenges. And that's obviously a, a wild card in this, so to speak, that 
you know, could potentially, you know, delay the process if, you know, organizations uh, file for injunctions uh, as they did back in, uh, you know, 2019 and uh, 2020 when when the DOL last uh, tried to uh, issue a, a rule. Uh, it, on these in 2019, was, there, was that change as material as this one is? Because this, this, is, this is a giant, you know, a 30 plus percent increase in pay. This, this yes. is uh, so, no, so right. The, the one in 2019 that, uh, you know, the Trump organiz- uh, the Trump administration one, that, that was a much smaller increase. Um, and so where we really saw, you know, we also saw lawsuits uh, back in um, was it 2016, I want to say, back when uh, the Obama administration uh, proposed a, a new rule. Right. And that one that was a bigger increase, right? Uh, similar to this one, I think the final number was going to be around forty-seven thousand a year under the Obama administration proposal, uh, and that one was subject to legal challenges and uh, an injunction, and then I believe eventually rescinded. Uh, so, you know, it, it leads to questions, right, as to what will happen with this one. So, I think right. we, we do expect challenges. Uh, so, it's going to be one of those where. You know, we're going to have a timeline once this goes, uh, you know, final, we'll, we'll know when the effective date is. Employers should likely, you know, should act as though that's when it will take effect. And if there are challenges, you know, just stay tuned on those. Uh, so that's you know, interesting. I didn't know that that uh, uh, back in in, in uh, President Obama's administration, that the proposal is to take it to 47. That obviously didn't happen because we're at 35 and change now. Um you mentioned earlier that you don't think this will probably materially change. If it changed in the past, what, I'm curious just for your thoughts, why, why such a big hit won't be really challenged? What, what's, what's different this time, you think? Yeah, well, you know, I, I do expect it will get challenged, uh, you know, based on, uh, you know, look, the text of the, the, the regulations and the FLSA doesn't really it addresses duties. It doesn't really address dollar numbers for, you know, required to meet an exemption. So there's some argument on that end that, hey, any, you know, uh, salary thresholds uh, improper. Um, you know, there could also be challenges right right now. There's uh, no secretary of labor. I believe we have an acting one. Uh, so that, that could form a challenge. But, you know, we, we will see. But I, I think you're, you're right that Along the lines of the Obama administration's uh, proposed rule being challenged that increased it, uh, you know, the salary threshold a large amount, there will probably be some reaction like that to this one, right? The back in 2020, yeah. the the Trump administration increase was much more modest, right? Uh, and so we uh, perhaps that's the reason you know we didn't see such uh, uh, reaction to it, but. You're right. I mean, here we have a huge jump, as I mentioned earlier, 55 percent. Uh, you know, we've seen some states and localities when they're looking to increase the salary threshold or minimum wage that they'll do it in steps. Right. That, you know, for instance, here in uh, you know New York, uh, a few years back, we were at ten dollars an hour and at various parts of the state went up, you know, maybe a dollar each year, someone a little more. Uh, and for the salary threshold, similar jumps. But the DOL here uh, has not proposed any jumps, right? Employers are going to get hit with that 
uh, jumped potentially to around 55 to 60,000 uh, right off the bat. And then every three years increases from there. So uh, because this is such a big jump, so you, you indicated the, t- the timeline. So once it go, once this proposed rule goes on the official reg- register, I think is what you call it. Uh, uh, now you have a 60 day comment period uh, for this to be challenged. That kind of takes us somewhere around the beginning of the year as a likelihood to be implemented. Um, I like, like I know, so minimum wage, uh, 725 nationally, uh, in, in where I live, uh, in the Midwest, um, our county passed legislation, the, to take minimum wage to $15, but they created a three year ramp to get there. Do you think that the law doesn't say that as, as it stands right now, this is just going to be whenever it takes effect, it's going to take effect. What's the likelihood in your opinion that there will be some type of a ramp? so employers can prepare budgetarily for this kind of a thing. Yeah, I could see that as a potential change, right? That maybe it's a, a phased uh, phased in approach or perhaps it's just to a, uh, a lower number initially, right? And then, you know, we'll, we'll see that, we'll, you know, the next automatic increase. So yeah. uh, I, I think there, there are some areas for, you know, for the proposed rule to be played with a bit. Um, you know, the ramp up, I think, you know, is, is a great idea because it allows employers to plan, right? You know, many employers have planned for 2024 and uh, their budget and, and all that. And clearly, right, having to pay however many of your uh, employees, you know, $20,000 more per year uh, is potentially uh, a difficult uh, pill to swallow for many employers, right? Yeah. And it could have, yeah. you know, real uh, bottom line impact. You know, that said, you know, employers do have a second option uh, as opposed to just increasing salary. Uh, They can, you know, if you have an employee who falls, you know, below the new proposed uh, salary threshold, right? Let's say they're making 40,000 per year. You can switch them to an hourly exempt uh, structure, right? As long as you pay them overtime then. So, you know, again, there, I, I know there's certainly uh, probably, you know, uh, you know, employee relations issues with that. Right. Uh, salaries are looked at as more desirable than uh, than hourly rates and can come with you know some type of you know senior uh, seniority or, you know, some type of status. So that can be difficult, but it is an option. Right. It is an option that employers can. You know, you can't pay you can't pay an hourly non-exempt employee a salary. But vice versa is fine, right? You can take an exempt employee and say, hey, we're not going to pay you a salary. We're going to treat you in all regards as an exempt hourly employee who's entitled to overtime. Now, depending on how many hours your exempt employees are working, that may not be a discount, right? You can end up paying more. So uh, I think that's the crux of the issue, right? So, I mean, if I'm playing mind reader here to the Department of Labor, um, I think what's really happening here is you continue to see this sea change of HR laws from from minimum wage to leave types to background checks to what you know hundreds of new laws across the country in the last decade. Here, uh, it's this shift to protect employees, um, and one of them is hey, we think uh, we employers too frequently are 
just putting people on salary. They're creating, making them exempt employees. And then they're working long hours. And they're like, hey, the DOL is saying, hey, if you're going to work long hours, you need to get paid for your long hours. And so to me, this is probably less to do with, you know, 55% pay increase going from 35000 to $55,000 to forcing employers' hand to moving a bunch of people back to hourly. And then, you know, it's going to create some real situations for for those people who who were the employees working 40 hours a week, no big deal. Those employees who were working 50 and 60 plus hours a week, all of a sudden this gets real expensive real fast. Yeah. 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 And, and certainly, and look, you know, one thing is, you know, mm-hmm. as this relates to other laws, right? So many, many states have, you know, different salary thresholds uh, for, ex- for the exempt employees that might exceed the, the uh, FLSA's floor. And just to be clear, right, the FLSA sets a nationwide floor. States and localities are free, and many of them do, go and provide stronger protection. So, you know, you see min- many minimum wages above $7.25 an hour. Many salary threshold requirements are above $34,000. And so, yeah. you know, for instance, again, here in New York, we have, you know, some of the highest salary thresholds uh, currently uh, around, uh, you know, in the mid-50s. Uh, fifty thousands, and you know, one of the uh, typical things uh, we've we've said in the past uh, to to uh, local employers was, you know, hey, you know, likely uh, result of the final rule is that you know our our local salary threshold will be higher, so you don't have to worry about the FLSA. But here, the new rule could even exceed you know New York's high threshold, right? We're pushing sixty thousand with the new proposed rules, so. Uh, across the board, even if you uh, are in a state with uh, salary levels that exceed uh, the FLSA, uh, stay tuned because the FLSA's new salary threshold could very well exceed uh, most, if not all, you know, state uh, salary thresholds. Breno, let, let's maybe step out of the legal and go into the just the strategic guidance for employers for a second here. Um, Mary and I covered this a couple of weeks ago, but this is really, really important as people, as employers prepare for this, um, I think they should be preparing for more than simply, uh, increasing budgets, right? Cause that may not even be an option for, for many people. Right. So we talked a little bit about the, uh, those employees who are kind of in this middle, the 35,000 to 55,000 salaried employees, you know, we, you, you, you did a good job explaining how you could put them on as hourly, make them non-exempt employees. They'd be paid hourly, but now they're going to have to get paid overtime. Um, and that might be fine for some, might not be for others. There's a kind of a cultural strategic component that, you know, it's perceived to be a promotion when you get paid salary, right? Um, speak for a second about the compression that happens at the top end, right? And, and I'll maybe set it up for folks. It's maybe, maybe today... You you have uh, a level one supervisor who has a base salary of forty thousand. Your level twos have sixty thousand, and it's a it's a it's a more senior position. And now now all of a sudden the floor for your level ones is fifty five. You only got a five thousand dollar difference between your level ones and your level twos. You create this compression issue. So this not only does it cascade down, it cascades up. What, what's your coaching for employers to be thinking about this? 
Yeah, so I, I think that salary compression could be one of the biz- biggest impacts of this, right? Because, you know, it, in, you know, realistically, each company is not going to have a ton of employees that fall in this range. They very well will have some, but right, it's not going to be, it may not be dozens or hundreds, right? It, it may be a few. But again, that's not the only impact, as you're suggesting, because when you take that one employee who maybe they're earning 45000 now, now you're going to have to, let's say in 2024, the salary level is 60000 So now you're going to have to pay that lowest uh, salary worker 60000 And now you probably have other workers who are earning between you know fifty five to sixty or slightly over 60000 who are now earning, would be earning less or right around the same as this other employee who's a lower level exempt employee than them. And so, yeah. right, the cascading effect in going upwards mm-hmm. is everyone will then need to be increased, right? And we've we've seen this in various states where, you know, for instance, the you know minimum wage and salary thresholds went up in, in New York again, to use that as an example. And that is something that we saw occur in New York. Uh, you know, fortunately, the increases were over a number of years. So employers had more time to plan uh, and set those levels uh, and deal with it. But, you know, here, employers need to get on top of this because they are not going to have all that much time, right? And even though we're not certain as to what exactly the salary threshold will be, we have a ballpark idea of what it will be. And so I think it's a great idea for any employer to not just look at and identify the employees in that, you know, 34 to, you know, 60 or, you know, uh, range, but to look at, who do they have over 60? You know, who's in that 60 to 100 range who might then need to get a bump to, yeah. you know, keep those uh, salary uh, levels uh, within the organization, you know, uh, appropriate. My, my guidance for employers is, is a few things. One, you got to simply look at your budgets. <clears throat> but I, I think it's a mistake to think this is only a, a budget thing to see whether you can or can't afford this change. And, oh, if I can't afford it, I'm just making people hourly. I, I think I think you're missing I think you're missing an opportunity, and I, and I think you have, uh, take on undue risk if you take that more simplistic approach. To me, you really need to look at these jobs. You need to identify what are the job descriptions. What is the what are the outcomes that you want from these jobs? And be thinking about a rebanding of salary ranges and the duties expected uh, for each of those jobs. So maybe today you have one level supervisor. Maybe you break that up into two levels. Maybe you have two levels and maybe you take it down to one. Maybe you take it to three. But how you band and treat different jobs, leadership levels, um, uh, uh, seniority levels for individual contributors who might uh, still fall in, in, in an exemption. Um, you need to really think about your entire your entire job description and how you're casting your employees, right? Because there's employees are going to watch the news and they're going to wonder, well, why aren't I getting this massive raise that the person in the news said I was going to get, right? So you're going to have to explain the rationale for why you do what you do here, right? Including, hey, this federal law just happened. Um, it would it would crush us if we gave everybody a $20,000 increase. Here's what we're going to do. We want to be as fair as we can and still stay afloat 
here's here's our strategy. And you and you describe the entire thing. So it's job descriptions, it's salary bands, it's communicate, communicate, communicate with your employees. And I would say it have all of that at least developed as a call it a plan B that's probably gonna become your plan A. What what do you think about that approach? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And you you really need to take a thoughtful approach to this. This isn't something that a company can just, you know, throw together the last minute because like you said, these compression issues and and it's not this it's not a simple answer for every employee, right? The the answer isn't necessarily give everyone a raise up to the new salary threshold, right? There could be reorganization within departments, right? Maybe we go from having several, uh, you know, exempt and, you know, managers of a department to maybe only having one and potentially changing the job duties of those others, uh, making them non-exempt. And, you know, that's, you know, everything's on the table, right? So I, I don't just see raises, I see changes you know, making previously exempt individuals non-exempt, uh, it, it can be a lot. And so, uh, you know, it, I think probably along with this and much of what we're speaking uh, toward uh, is, is basically a classification audit, right? Uh, part of preparing Absolutely. for this is going to be looking at the job descriptions you mentioned, right? Are these updated, right? Because Again, if you have any other changes to make, right, if, if you've potentially been misclassifying individuals as exempt, perfect time to reevaluate how you're doing it and who might need to yeah. be changed and roll out any changes at the same time, you know, we deal with the salary increase, right? It's always, you know, it's always, in my viewpoint, it's always a good time to conduct uh, a wage and hour audit, uh, you know, once a year, every other year, minimally, uh, just because, you know, job descriptions get stale, right? They, you know, what employees do changes. And we want to make right. sure that, you know, our classification decisions are based on what's actually being done. Better you audit than the Department of Labor. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> right. Right. All right. So I don't think we need to go deeper than that because I think we've covered a lot of these topics on previous shows. We'll include in the show notes here. Uh, a, a link to this uh, proposed rule, uh, any other uh, links to Department of Labor and, and, and timeline that we can provide will, will be included there. Um, I, you know, there's going to be another show here, here Brian. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me maybe put this out there. So I've said it many times. The purpose of this show is simply to bring uh, employers the very best information we possibly can to help them stay compliant and grow their business. Um, this is this is huge. We are not advocating for or against this ruling. It just is. We are explaining what the proposed rule is. Um, I also acknowledge that this is going to rock some people's world. And there's going to be some people who say, gosh darn it, it's about time. We got uh, too many uh, lower paid salaried folks that are being taken advantage of. And there's going to be others who, see, who say, this is criminal. You're going to put me out of business. There's, so lots of opinions here. Um, knowing that there is, and, and we do our very best to not be political on this show, but if people do want to participate in this comment period, what should they do? Yes. Yeah, so I think, you know, certainly it will be uh, published in the Federal Register uh, soon. And once it does, I believe uh, comments can be uh, made online uh, through the website. And so, yeah, I imagine 
uh, depending on timing of when it gets published, you know, uh, that could be something uh, that could be put out with a, a future article to refer employers uh, to. But look, in addition to commenting, which again, you know, comments are great, right? A lot of times uh, rulemaking occurs in a setting where they're, they're not looking at the practicalities of what employers are going to have to deal with uh, in the real world. And so, like, like we mentioned before, a phased approach, if there's going to be, uh, you know, increases, a phased approach could help employers, you know, deal with uh, these uh, budgetary changes, uh, you know, instead of having it all happen in 2024, right? So, yeah. uh, but it is something employers will, will, will deal with. And I, I think, look, what we're expressing is that it's coming down the pike potentially. We don't know when, but the more you plan, the more you'll be able to potentially deal with this in a way that it won't throw off your budget entirely. You'll be able to figure out the best way you can, uh, you know, uh, have your workforce, you know, in an environment where salaried employees get paid a lot more, right? Whether yeah. that means less salaried employees or, or you know, uh, many options are on the table, but it's about looking at that and not scraping something together you know, at the last minute. Yeah. The clock's ticking. You know what? We're 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 fast approaching the fourth quarter. Uh, we're looking at three, four months from now. This thing could be law uh, in uh, I would say three months is not a lot of time to plan something of this magnitude to audit all your jobs, the exempt, non-exempt classifications of those jobs. If needed, rebudget these jobs, uh, write new job descriptions that tie out. That that's a lot to do even if you're a small employer with 5, 10, 20 employees, because you're not exempt from, almost no one is exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA. Uh, this, this is going to hit a lot of people. So please, please, please don't wait for this thing to become law. Uh, start planning for it now. Anything, any last words you want to give in guidance here, Brian? No, I, I think that was, that was a good way to tie it up. I think employers should stay on top of this, monitor it, but don't just monitor and wait. Even though it's not final, there are steps you can take. You'll be in a better place when, when the final rule comes down. Absolutely. Worst case scenario, nothing happens. The thing gets shot down and you have deeply thought through your job descriptions, classifications, and compensation strategy, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, Not at all. Brian, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to everyone else. Until next week, we'll talk to you later. At Assure, we build human capital management software and services that help 90,000 companies like yours attract, develop, and retain great people. Our low upfront costs and affordable subscription model allow you to save cash to invest in things that drive growth, not overhead. To learn more about how Assure can help you claim up to $26,000 per employee with the Employee Retention Tax Credit, automate your payroll, and build productive teams that are compliant with ever-changing HR laws. Visit AssureSoftware.com.